Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the households of faith. Thus far the reading of God's word. Brother Ken. Shall we pray? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we just thank you once again that you have given us an opportunity to open your word. For Father, in your word is life and life eternal, especially in our Savior, Lord and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, we just pray that you'll give Pastor uh, the voice that he needs today, give him strength and everything he stands in need of. We thank you, Father, for the preparation for this morning's message. And we just pray, Father, that, uh, that your word will go out and it will accomplish everything that you have in mind. All this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior, alone we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to look at three things as we think about and reflect on verses 6, 7, and 8 this morning. First of all, the obvious that Paul brings out. Secondly, the principle that Paul teaches. And then thirdly, one application or perhaps two applications of the passage that is before us and how it applies to that which you have witnessed this morning in the ordination and installation of office bearers. First of all, the obvious. That's verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Paul is speaking here about a relationship. A relationship of the student to the teacher. The relationship of Actually, the words that are used, or the terms that are used, the catechumen to the catechist. And actually, those terms imply something else, don't they? When you hear the word catechumen and you hear the word catechist, it means that, that whole idea of a catechism, that idea of, of teaching on a regular, ongoing basis. That there is a, a manner in which, a means in which this teaching is being done and a manner in which the learning is being done as well. That it's not just haphazard, it's not just scattered, it's not just here or there. But there is an ongoing, regular, 
teaching pattern that is established and a learning pattern that goes along with it. That's where we get the idea of, of catechism training. That's where we get the idea of, of having a catechism and of, of spelling out our doctrinal positions and beliefs. Here, Paul means by it, not so much those catechisms as they were not so much in existence, but the ongoing, regular, steady preaching of God's Word. That God did not intend His Word to be preached in a scattered shotgun means, but that He has assembled His Word in a regular pattern that it needs to be studied in that regular pattern. There is a method to why Galatians 1 is Galatians 1 and Galatians 6 is Galatians 6. One of the things we strive to do, at least in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, is to, is to preach in that way. So I'm not sure where we are, how many sermons we've had on the book of Galatians far more than what I expected when I first began, but that's the idea, that we go through slowly, looking at text, putting it together with that which came before, so that we connect it with that which comes later. That's what Paul is speaking of here, that kind of teaching. And he's saying in that relationship, a student-teacher of catechumen to catechist. That long-term sequential ordering. Certainly as we look at that, we, we, we state and we go, well, it's obvious that, that this is the relationship between a pastor and the members of the church. That's the relationship Paul is speaking of in verse 6. The requirement is that those who are taught share all good things with the one who teaches. That's kind of an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? Because you would think it's, well, wait a minute, isn't the one who teaching, isn't the one who is teaching the one who is the one who is giving? Yes, but Paul is saying that is. That is a given. That's what the teacher does. That's what the pastor does. That's what the catechist does. But there needs to be a response. And the response is there needs to be a sharing of all good things. Now what does Paul mean by that? What is meant by all good things? Well, it means not only spiritual, but it means material things. It means that those who are the receivers of the teaching are to communicate to the one to whom they have received good things. That is the requirement. Now, I'm, you know, I, I frankly have to tell you, this, this, it would have been much easier for me to say, uh, Dr. Trumper or Ken Smith or uh, uh, um, perhaps a, uh, a seminary student come in and preach this text about the pastor. 
Because it's difficult preaching this when it refers to yourself. But yet it's there. Paul, Paul's making this rather obvious that we as pastors can expect that those to whom we teach and preach, they will share all good things with their pastor. Now, those of us who grew up in Dutch communities okay, have perhaps not so good a slight on this as perhaps we're, we're, we're withholding of that. We're not, we're not appreciative folks in that way. We would much rather criticize that which we heard than show appreciation for that which we heard. I'm not saying this out of any sort of complaint. I'm not saying this out of any sort of problem or difficulty. But that's the text. The text says that the one who is taught is to share all good things with the one who teaches. That's a requirement. It's not a, well, maybe, sometimes. No, it is a requirement that that be done. That brings us then to the recognition, the third point on this first one, of the fact that, that a congregation is expected to take care of their pastor. You know, sometimes you, there, there are those, and not Little Farm, but sometimes you get the the feeling when you talk to other members in other churches, sometimes there are people who are like, I'm not so sure the minister should be paid. I'm, I'm not so sure that's a good thing. I think the minister ought to have his own job and he ought to work 40 hours and then he ought to preach on Sunday. Paul is not advocating that. The text is saying, in a sense, the exact opposite of that. He is saying that the pastor deserves to be taken care of. Paul has mentioned this as well in Romans 15, 27, 1 Corinthians 9, 14. This isn't the only place Paul talks like this. So I just want to stop and say thank you to you as a congregation okay, at our congregational meeting a week or so ago. A budget was passed. You passed a, a pastor's package, a salary. You are taking care of your pastor. You are doing that which this text requires you to do. That, that's not something, it's not like, oh, we're just being nice to Bob. No, that, that's a requirement. Now, I appreciate that you're being nice. But I, I want you to see the reason why this is a biblical mandate. This is a biblical requirement that a congregation has towards their pastor. One of the things that when uh, we receive a call in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and that call comes before the presbytery, one of, one of the things that the letter of call states is it says, so that you can be free from worldly care, we promise 
and oblige ourselves to the following, and then list the salary package. And Presbytery actually looks at those calls and says, is that really fair? Is that really just? Is that really right? Are you calling a man to the pastorate, but you're not really supplying the pastor's needs? You're not really, by that which you're paying him, fulfilling the responsibility to make him free from worldly care. So we take this in our denomination very seriously, this text. That we are responsible for caring for our pastors. And we as pastors are responsible and within the presbytery of making sure that our brothers in the ministry are being well taken care of in that regard as well. And once again, thank you. The budget was passed. I appreciate it very much. There is, there is no sense in which I'm preaching this out of a sense of, hey, I needed more, I deserve more. I get lots of notes. I get lots of thank yous. But understand, people of God, that is our responsibility. And, and let me just encourage you in this regard as well. Perhaps some of you listen to various radio ministries. And, you know, you, every day you turn it on or maybe once a week you listen to a certain program or something. And, and you've always thought to yourself, man, that's nice. It, it's nice that that's on the radio. I, I like listening to that program. I think one of the things this text is telling us is this. If, if you're being blessed by somebody's radio ministry, I think there's a responsibility to say thank you. There's a responsibility to write a note and just say thank you. You've made a difference in my life. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So then Paul moves on to a principle. The principle of sowing and reaping. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now the first way you have to understand that is this. You have to understand it in the context of the letter to the Galatians. See, that line, sharing with the one who is taught all good things, and then he ties it to sowing and reaping. Paul is going back to the issue of justification by faith. And he's saying, listen, if a person sows the seed of justification by works, if one sows the seed of justification by obedience to the law, if that is what he is teaching, then that is what he shall also reap. Well, now what does that mean? What that means is, 
If you're going to advocate the fact that you can be saved only by obedience to the law, then that will be the standard that God will apply. Are you fully obedient to the law? Well, who could answer yes to that question, right? You, you can't answer yes. I'm fully compliant to the whole of the law of God. We, we can't say yes to that. But if that's what you're going to teach, salvation by works, justification by works, then the application is that which you sow is going to be that which you reap. That'll be the standard then that is applied to you. On the other hand, if that which you sow is justification by faith in Christ alone, by grace alone, then that is also what you will reap. In other words, that becomes then the standard. So he's going backwards into the book and saying, let's take this principle and bring it back into the conflict that's going on there in Galatians. I came and taught you justification by faith. The false teachers have come in and are teaching a justification by obedience to the Mosaic law. You have a responsibility, Galatians, of sharing with the one who taught you. God is not mocked. He will judge according to the law of sowing and reaping. It, it's Paul's way of coming at this from a different angle. And of, and of saying to these, this, these churches in Galatia, you need to be careful about following this path of listening to these teachers who are advocating justification by obedience to the law because you will reap that which you sow. Now, that's in the immediate context of the passage. But the principle is far more ranging than that, isn't it? I mean, when Paul writes this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, do not be deceived, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That has far-reaching consequences. That, that's, as it were, a principle of life that God is setting down. That which you sow. Well, we could think about that in terms of not only in the letter to Galatians here, <coughs> but we can think about that in terms of our giving. I would imagine many of you, like myself, received a little letter in your mailbox last week. That little letter told you how much you gave to Little Farms Chapel. 
for your tax info. Others of you don't give through the box system, so you didn't, you didn't receive that little note. But do you know? What, what is the law of sowing and reaping going on? Have you sowed a little so you're reaping a little? You're not really giving your tenth to the Lord? You're kind of fudging on the tenth? You're playing games with the tenth? You're not being honest? So let's just think about this. If the letter said that you gave $2,000 to Little Farms Chapel last year, that would mean that you only made $20,000. Now that may be. That may be. But that's the way this works. Now if we're stingy, if we withhold, if we don't sow generously, we don't reap generously either. This is a financial principle that God has established. I know of no person who gives their full tenth to the Lord who has ever gone hungry. But I know plenty of people who are stingy, who don't give, and they never have enough. Why? Because God is not mocked. You can't deceive him. What you sow is what you reap. If you sow sparingly, you receive sparingly. See, think about it this way. Think about you're a farmer in the old days and you've got a bag of seed on the side of you. Okay? And you take, you look at the bag and you go, hmm, I don't know, what, what, what should I sow? What should I give? Just take out a little here and throw it out. Now, are you going to reap acres and acres and acres of wheat? Of course not, because you have sown sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow generously, what happens? You reap generously. I could ask our farmers this question, although everybody in this room ought to be able to answer this. If I sow a half an acre of corn, will I reap 20 acres of corn? Uh, no. I have to sow to reap. That's the principle Paul is laying down about our giving. But it goes deeper than that because that, that, that's just, I mean... That's an easy one to see. But it goes deeper than that. What are we sowing as far as our conduct? 
Because you see, that's where verse 8 comes in. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. See, the question is, it's, it's not just this, this pastor congregation thing. It's not just our giving to the Lord. That has to do with what are we sowing with our life? What do we sow? Do we sow criticism? Do we sow rudeness? Do we sow anger? Do we sow rebellion? Do we sow an argumentative nature? Do we sow unforgiveness? Do, do, are those the types of things that we're sowing as, as we go places, as we, as we deal with our family, as we deal with our spouse, as we come to church, as we go to work? What, what is it that we're dipping into our bag and spreading? What are we sowing? Does everybody know us as the person, oh man, don't get them going because wow, they are so critical about every little thing in life. What happens then? It, it, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. What we sow is what we reap. If we sow an argumentative spirit, in the lives of our children, what do you suppose we're going to reap? If we sow a rebellious nature in church, what do you suppose we're going to reap out of that? When we sow discord, when we sow the idea of, man, I don't like this and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure everybody knows I don't like this, what do you suppose we're going to reap within our family? See, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What we sow is what we shall reap. On the other hand, as Paul says in verse 8, if we sow that of the Spirit, that is what we reap as well. We sow love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. What is it we reap? See, too often in life, what we want the principle to be is the opposite of this. What we sow is not what we reap. We want to sow to the flesh, but we want to reap of the Spirit. And Paul says that is not what's going to happen. You have to sow Spirit to reap Spirit. When you sow flesh, you reap flesh. When you sow negativity, what do you get? Negativity. When you sow peace, what do you get? Peace. When you sow purity, what do you get? Purity. 
See, the principle that Paul is after here in, in this idea of whatever one sows, that will he also reap, has far greater consequences than just the, the idea of giving. That's just one aspect of it. The far bigger aspect is how are we living our life? What is being shown? What is being evidenced? The, the, Paul, Paul is at this, this point in, in Galatians where, where he's trying to explain to these people, listen, the, the benefits of having been justified by faith have great reaping. But this is what it looks like. It's not a, I'm saved, now it doesn't matter how I live. No, it does matter because there is a principle of sowing and reaping that is in place. So let me give you one more application, third point for this morning. And that's in regards to this morning. This morning as we installed and ordained an elder, and elders, and deacons, there were vows taken. There were vows taken by the elder and by the deacon. Vows regarding the scriptures, vows regarding our standards, vows regarding our church government, our church discipline, the worship of our church. Vows that said, I will promise to promote the peace, the unity, and the purity of the church, that I'll be faithful in the discharge of my duties. Now the one who sows those vows will reap an abundance. But you as a congregation made vows too. You made vows to honor. You made a vow to encourage. You made a vow of obedience. Now, if you, if you don't sow those things, if that hasn't become that which you now do, but you sow dishonor, you sow discouragement, and you sow disobedience, what are you going to reap? Well, what's going to be that which you receive? You're going to get peace? See, God takes these vows as very seriously because it comes back to the principle of sowing and reaping. It all funnels out of that. As these men have taken vows this morning for these offices for which they have been called. God now holds them accountable for those vows. They are to sow the sincerity of the vow that they have made. God holds them accountable for that. 
That's why it's, it, it is indeed a weighty thing to become an elder or a deacon in a church. It's something that, that you can't just, oh yeah, I'll do that job. This, is, this isn't like serving on a committee. We, we make you take no vow to serve on a committee. But to serve as an elder or as a deacon in the church, we, we have you take these vows because we understand the importance of these offices that these men now are filling. And the law of sowing and reaping is in effect. As well as for us as the congregation. But that applies as well, does it not, to our own life. If we are sowing the flesh... Notice how Paul puts this in verse 8. If we sow to our flesh, there is indeed an ultimate consequence. Because what happens to our flesh? Think about this. What happens to your flesh over the course of time? Your flesh eventually dies and rots. It becomes corrupt. What does Paul say? The one who sows to the flesh. What do you reap? You reap that which the flesh does. Corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, what do you reap? Life. Because the Spirit is life and the flesh is death. If we are going to live as God's people in this world, we cannot live as God's people if we're only sowing to the flesh. Scripture would have none of that. It is to sow the Spirit. To sow that which the Spirit desires. To live the way the Spirit desires for us to live. And then from that we reap. Let's pray.